In this episode, Sloane Stevenson, our discipleship minister, continues the series entitled, A Man's Handbook. Sloane teaches from 2 Samuel 9 on the story of David and Mephibosheth, and how we are also invited to the table to be adopted as sons of the king. Now let's hear from Sloane Stevenson. All right, so we'll get started this morning. First question is, this is kind of like Bible trivia, and you can ignore the screen when I ask this question, but has anybody heard of a guy named Mephibosheth? Okay, I've got one of the whole room, two, three, a couple. All right, so what we are doing this morning is we're going to be looking at a deep cut in the Old Testament of a guy named Mephibosheth. And what I'm excited for is one, that's a fun name to say, and I've practiced enough that it does not get me in a tongue twister, but it will probably get you as you think through it. But um, what we're looking at this morning is the story of this guy Mephibosheth, and the goal for this morning is as we look at his story, we get to see a reflection of our story and what God has done for us and how we play into the greater story that God is playing out through creation. So, we're going to be in 2 Samuel chapter 9, and as we get there, we want to set the scene to understand who are the major characters we are dealing with this morning. And so, the first one is King David, which if you have had any, I'm just going to get rid of this, if you've had any experience or time in church, you have heard of King David. Uh, He is the king of Israel famously known as the giant slayer for killing Goliath. He is uh, a war hero. He is a harp player. He wrote not all, but a majority of our psalms. And he is kind of the ultimate action hero of the Old Testament. So in short, um, men wanted to be him and women wanted to be with him, right? (laughs) And then David also gets famously known as the man after God's own heart. And so David is one of the major characters for our story this morning because as the king of Israel, he's the one who initiates this entire story with Mephibosheth. So 2 Samuel chapter 1 or chapter 9 verse 1 says, David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul that I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? And so what we see is David wants to bless Saul's family for the sake of his friend, Jonathan. And so we need to understand that there's always a dynamic playing out throughout Scripture. And when we read Scripture, the important thing is always to let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so we flip back, and what we see is we get Saul. So Saul is the former king of Israel. He is, at this point in the story, dead. And so when David went out to face Goliath and kill him, It was supposed to be the job of the king to go out and face the enemy of Israel. But notice that in this point of the story, Saul, who was king at the time, is not the one going out to fight Goliath. Now, don't get me wrong. We see through 1 Samuel, we see these moments of Saul being a good king. He has some victories. The Lord blesses him in some ways. But ultimately, by the end of his reign, we see Saul being a bad king king in disobeying the Lord's commands and taking things for himself. And so God then anoints David to be the next king of Israel. And aside from that, we see this idea that Saul hates David. 
right? And it's not just because that David has been anointed by God, but what we see is the heart of Saul. Here's what we see in 1 Samuel 18, 7. It says this, And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, saying, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his tens of thousands. So the problem we have with Saul is Saul has a bit of a jealousy issue. And what we don't see from Scripture is we don't know if it's because it's the lady singing it or if it's just because people are chanting David's name. But what we get is Saul doesn't like David because David is more popular in the class. That the people of Israel love David more than Saul. With Saul completely ignoring the fact that it's actually the Lord anointing David and has removed his hand from Saul. But we've got Saul, who is this member who has tried to kill David in the past, and this is the family that David wants to bless for the sake of his friend Jonathan, which is how we get into our other character of the story. We've got Jonathan, David's best friend. He's the son of the king, previously heir to the throne. Both Jonathan and Saul end up dying in battle together. But what we see from previous in 1 Samuel is this idea that Jonathan loved David. They were best friends to the point that Jonathan was the one who helped David escape from Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. Also knowing that that's Jonathan giving up the throne. Right? He's helping the guy who God has anointed to be the next king, knowing that if he had turned David over to his dad, he would get to be the next king of Israel which is a whole other thing for another time, but there is a just very beautiful picture, right, of Jonathan giving up and sacrificing what would be his birthright, what would be his worldly success and power to be obedient to God. But it's in this moment that we see David reflecting on that, right? So David's been established on the throne, and I like to imagine that it's David reminiscing about all those good times with his friend Jonathan that has him ask, Hey, is there anybody left that I can bless? Is there anybody else I can show favor to due to my friend Jonathan? And so then from that, we get introduced to our fun name character, Mephibosheth. And so here's what we see when David asked this. Now, there was a servant in the house of Saul named Ziba. And they summoned him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? He replied, I am your servant. And the king asked, Is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to. And Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. And the king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodeber at the house of Michar, son of Amil. So King David had him brought from the house of Michar, son of Amil in Lobadir. Those are all fun words to say. Um, but so here we go. So David is called out for a servant of Saul's family to go, hey, is there anybody left? And the servant, Ziba, says, there is a guy. He's one of Jonathan's sons who is left, whose name is Mephibosheth, and he's out living in this kind of exterior part of the country. And David says, bring him to me. So then we get Mephibosheth's origin, right? So back in 2 Samuel chapter 4, it says this, Saul's son Jonathan had, or Saul's son, Jonathan, had a son whose feet were crippled. He was five years old when the report about Saul and Jonathan came to Jezreel. His nanny picked him up and fled, but as she was hurrying to flee, he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So what happens is 
when Saul and Jonathan are killed in combat, this is before David has been established on the throne, there is this transition of power that happens. And when that happens, Mephibosheth's nanny picks him up, is carrying him out, and is a klutz, drops him, and he becomes lame in both feet. He cannot walk. And what we need to understand is that in ancient Israel, that's very different from Texas in 2022. So you don't have the internet. There is not such a thing as remote work. There's not a lot of handicap accessible stuff in ancient Israel. So the reality is that most cripples were forced to be beggars. That's why we see throughout the New Testament, Jesus and the disciples coming to cripples and healing them because they're sitting around begging, right? And so more than likely, Mephibosheth spent most of his life in poverty and begging just from being crippled, but then along with the fact that what we see is he's from the former lineage of the king, which would be great except that none of his ancestors are now sitting on the throne. So I don't know, he could have been like the most loved guy in town, but most likely he was ostracized by where he lived because he was of the line of the former king. But this is who David calls to meet him. This is who David says, hey, bring him to me. I want to see him because of my friend, Jonathan. And so David has him brought up. And here's where we pick up the story again in verse 6. So Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell face down to pay homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he responded, I am your servant. Don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. I will restore to you all of your grandfather Saul's fields, and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you take interest in a dead dog like me? So the beautiful thing we notice here is Mephibosheth understands his place in this story. He understands his position in this that, hey, I am but a dead dog. And it's powerful imagery to think about. He's like, why would you show kindness to me? Why would you care about me? I am not just a cripple, but I'm also of the lineage of this former king who tried to have you killed. Like, that's who I'm associated with, and you're wanting to be kind to me. Why in the world would you do this? It's important for us to understand, David has no obligation to do this. There's no reason for David to show kindness to Mephibosheth. If anything, David could just have him killed to make sure that there is never a rebellion from any that are loyal to Saul. But instead, David chooses to show kindness. And here's this blessing that we see David give to Mephibosheth. Verse 9 says, Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I have given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to work the ground for him. And you are to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, 
is always to eat at my table. Now Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants, and Ziba said to the king, Your servant will do all my lord the king commands. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table. His feet had been injured. So here's the crazy thing that we get to then. is So David not only brings him in and says, hey, out of the kindness of your father, I'm going to give you back all of this property that your grandfather owned. Remember, at this time, land was king. To have land meant you had some source of income. You could take care of yourself. And David's going, hey, I'm going to give you back all these fields that your grandfather owned. So it's providing resources and care for Mephibosheth. But then David takes it a step further and says, not only that, but you're going to live here with me. You're going to eat from my table. You're going to have the best food in the land. You're never going to have to worry about another thing a day in your life. And we get that reflection because think back, David's a shepherd boy from Bethlehem who after killing Goliath, Saul brings in to the palace as his heart player, but treats him in this same way. David was the dirty shepherd boy from Bethlehem getting to eat at the king's table next to Saul and Jonathan. And now we see David getting to give that same kindness back on behalf of his friend Jonathan, getting to bring Mephibosheth in and go, you have no reason to be here, but I'm going to show you kindness and have you eat right here with me. Where there's not a concern and not a worry for you. So if we're sitting here this morning, you're going, Sloan, that is a phenomenal story. I will keep practicing Mephibosheth's name, and I'm going to mess it up at least five or six times before I nail it. But what's the point? Which is a great question. So when we read Scripture, there's a couple different ways we can read it. There's a way that's called uh, descriptive and prescriptive. So descriptive is going to be, oh, here's a story. We read it. We know about it. Awesome. Close my Bible. Move on. Then there's prescriptive, which is what is Scripture telling me to do in light of what it says? And the cool thing with this story of Mephibosheth is it actually does both. Because when we read it, there is this story that we get of David showing kindness. But as we read it, we get to ask ourselves the question, who are we in the story? What role do we play if we see ourselves put in here? And the truth is, we find ourselves actually being not King David, but Mephibosheth. And here's how I want to conclude, is I want to give us three, three ways that we see ourselves as Mephibosheth this morning. The first one is this, that we don't belong at the table. That we don't belong at the table. Romans 5.10 says, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his Son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? Men, the truth is that 
no matter how many good things we've done, we don't belong at the table of the king. That from what scripture tells us, we were enemies of God. We had committed treason against the king of the universe, and yet he invites us despite not belonging there. And some of you might be sitting there going, no, you're absolutely right. I have, I've got a laundry list of reasons I don't belong at the table. But guess what? We're still invited. By the death of Jesus, we get to come to the table. So we don't belong at the table, but what we see is we are invited to the table. Here's what we see in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus is having his earthly ministry. Then Levi, or Matthew, hosted a grand banquet for him, Jesus, at his house. Now there was a large crowd of tax collectors and others who were reclining at the table with him. But the Pharisees and their scribes were complaining to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus replied to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So we don't belong at the table. We have nothing to offer our king, but we're invited in simply because he says, that's why I showed up. That's the invitation I give out is that I'm inviting the broken and those who can offer nothing to me. Those are the people I'm bringing to my table. Those are the people I have come for. It's not the doctor who needs, or it's not the uh, healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And that's who our Jesus comes for because due to our sin, all of us in some way, shape, form, and fashion are sick. And Jesus steps in and calls us into this relationship with him, into this repentance. But then the last thing that we see is that we don't belong at the table, but we're invited to the table. And then this last one is, but we're adopted as sons of the king. Here's what Romans 8 says. For all those led by God's spirit are God's sons. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Instead, you received a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, also heirs heirs of God and cohorts with, or co-heirs with Christ. So just like Mephibosheth getting brought into this table of being offered the best food of the king, being offered the opportunity to live in the palace, you and I, while we were once far from God, are invited in to be considered sons of the Most High God, which changes everything when we think about it. When you think about how we view our lives, how we lead our homes, how we serve in our church, how we do business and lead out in the community, it changes how we view it when we are aware of the idea that we are operating as ambassadors and sons of God. The things that we say, the relationships that we have, every action is a reflection of, I am representing God and Jesus Christ not just as a servant, but as one of his sons. Not deserving to be there, but getting invited to be a part of this greater story of God. 
And so this morning, just kind of how I want us to be able to reflect on this is that we're all Mephibosheth, broken and having nothing to offer the king, but we're invited to be a son. We're invited to live in such a way to have a confidence of knowing that our God goes before us and has equipped and empowered us to do great things for him, despite having no reason to offer that to us. And so two things for you to consider this morning, it depends on where you land, is simply this. For some of you, it might be accepting the invitation to the table. You might be here this morning and go, I've been coming to Tuesday morning men's Bible study, or I've been coming to church, I've been doing these different things, but I've never actually laid down a yes to accept this invitation from God. I've been seeing it much more of just this servanthood mindset of I need to check these boxes and do these things and God will like me and we'll be cool. And instead we get this invitation to come and accept being a son of the king. To be children of God. And so if that's you this morning, I want to encourage you. Come find me, talk to Dave after this. We would love to talk to you about what that looks like to accept that invitation. But for the rest of us, I think what's important is that oftentimes we need reminded. Oftentimes we forget who we are. And we also sometimes forget who our king and who our dad is. The creator of all things, the one who speaks all things to existence. That we're co-heirs with Christ who came and died on our behalf, who says that all authority has been given to me on heaven, in heaven and on earth. That that's who's empowered us to go out as we live our lives, to be the kind of godly men that God has called us to be here at Cottonwood Creek Church. And so that's the challenge I want to give you this morning, is that to be reminded of whose you are. And then walk in that. Because what we see from Scripture in Ephesians 2 is that we've been saved by grace, but at the very end of that famous passage we often quote is, it's for works that God has prepared for us that we should walk in them. And so walk in that confidence of being a son of the King today. And pray for us. Father God, I thank you for these men. I thank you for just the encouragement that... Uh, while we do not deserve your kindness, that you offer it to us freely. And that you love us unconditionally and you provide for us. You are our great and mighty warrior and defender. And that you have confidently called each and every one of us to your table for our good and for your glory, God. As we leave this place today, would we be men who would boldly be the kind of men that you would call us to be in the things that we do and the words that we say that we would be your ambassadors and we would be your sons in the places you've put us in. God, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Men's Bible Study. For more information about Cottonwood Creek Church, visit cottonwoodcreek.org. That's cottonwoodcreek.org.